0: Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys
1: Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. Have you ever considered breaking into Hollywood? Do you have a project you want to get behind? Did you write a screenplay? Did you come up with an idea for a book or a TV series or a film or a special? Whatever it is. We've got a special show for you today with a special guest. His name is Sam Sokolow. He is a Hollywood producer extraordinaire, Emmy-nominated for the wonderful Genius Series on That Geo. Sam Sokolow, he has helped guide me and counsel me and coach me, and he's a terrific guy. He's a guy's guy, and uh, we did a pre-recorded conversation last week. I just have learned so much from Sam, and he's a really good guy, so I think today's show is going to be wonderful for anybody who has aspirations of breaking into Hollywood. Uh, There's no better person to help guide you than Sam. Now, whether you are uh, an entertainment company that wants to grow or you have a specific project or creative, just overall career goals, um, Sam will help coach you to kind of navigate the system. And it's so important because... When I wrote my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, I put it out there. I did the marketing. I I worked so hard behind it. It was critically acclaimed. And then I'm like, what do I do now? So I wrote a adapted screenplay for it. And then I wrote a TV series for it, scripted TV, the pilot and the treatment, because people said, hey, this would make fun TV. So I went out and did the work. And then I started blogging and I put together my website robertmanny.com there's 350 blogs there you can also get uh three free chapters of the book the guy's guy's guide to love which is my novel about two guys in advertising competing for love sex power and money in the city where they play for keeps and from there i really had a brand on my hand i said okay what do i stand for well initially when we were doing the early broadcast of guys guys radio it was all about relationships And then it started to grow organically, and then some publicists found out about me, and they sent me different types of guests in different areas, whether it be wellness, or diet, or fitness, or metaphysical, or spiritual, and lots of things, or finance, or career counseling, and lots of things that have to do with living our best life. So I figured, well, I have to kind of shape this. So really, what Guy's Guy, the whole brand, is all about is to really inform, inspire, and empower people to see humanity through a new lens so they can reimagine the world and live their best lives now i know that sounds like a mission statement you know why because it is and the person who helped me guided me to sit down and write that to get a very clear crisp vision of what this guy's guy brand is all about with all the wonderful aspects of it and all the wonderful components of it was sam Sokolo. so i want to have him on the show and i want to have him talk about his new company And talk about Hollywood, what it takes to get into the business, what are the rules of engagement, and how do you interact with people in the business so you have the right lexicon, the right terminology, the right nomenclature, the right way of approaching people and discussing your work so you're making the best use of people's time who are there who can possibly help you. So very special Guys Guys Radio show today with Emmy-nominated Hollywood producer, and guy's guy, Sam Sokolow.
0: It's Guy's Guy Radio.
1: Guy's Guy's Radio. We have a special guest from the world of Hollywood, La La Land and all of that, but he's a real guy. He's a guy's guy. His name is Sam Sokolow. I've known him for a number of years, he's been a great counsel to me and my work and he is a very successful producer in Hollywood. He has run the studio, EUE Sokolow, Nice Media, he has a consultancy now that's a wonderful thing because he's going out there and he's actually helping creators learn how to shape their message and their material and get it out there and get deals done. And he's a great guy and he's a guy's guy, he's a New Yorker who's in LA and he he gets it. So. My friend, a mentor of mine, Sam Sokolow. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio.
2: Ah, oh, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure, Robert. Great to be here. Great to see you, and uh, you know, it's an honor as always.
1: Okay, let's start at the beginning. You grew up in New York, and you began your career uh, very interestingly at the New York Daily News. How did this experience shape you, and then your career in Hollywood? Because I think it's a really good path where you came from—a real gritty. Real place like New York and LA's real for sure, and Hollywood's real, but you know, there's a little bit of the tinsel around town.
2: It's real ish in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I, think I got into writing early in my career um, in a natural way when I was basically told and figured out that I couldn't act. Uh, and so, um, uh, no, I was a young writer uh, and I got this job at the New York Daily News. and was a crime and community affairs reporter in 93 and 94. And those were when the tabloid wars were happening. And it was a very exciting time. And um, you know, my job was to either go investigate a story every day, write the article, and get it in by 6 o'clock, or to aid uh, or assist uh, on other writers writing really big stories that needed boots on the ground reporters around the city. And it taught me so much. Um, it taught me, uh, on one hand, a very deep level of compassion for people because when you're a crime reporter in a city like New York, you're interfacing with people on the worst day of their lives mm-hmm. normally. Um, something tragic or you know, bombastic has occurred in their life that is worthy of tabloid news. And it also taught me a tremendous diligence. It taught me that a lot can be accomplished in one day. Uh, I'd wake up some mornings and Just kind of roll into the office, and by six o'clock, I will have been all over the city and met all these amazing people and written something really compelling about something that I had no idea existed in the morning and got it done, got it written, and got it submitted. Uh, So it taught me a real diligence, and and to a degree, it taught me how to write. Uh, And then ultimately, I think it's helped me as a producer working with other writers specifically. Uh, I actually have this memory I think about almost every day. There was a very, like, I mean, you couldn't central casting. You know, this editor, New York Daily News, early 90s named Jerry Schmetterer. And he was like tough as nails and looked like Lou Grant a little bit. He was just this tough old screw. And, uh, and, and he would say to me all the time, Sokolow, you're going to be in Hollywood one day sitting by a pool and everything you learned here is going to be what you know. And I, you know, and no matter what I do, he'd, say, he'd call me Hollywood. He'd go, look, Hollywood, one day you're going to be out there, but you're going to remember what happened here today and it's going to be the basis of everything. So good, do your job. And you know what? He was right. There's not a day that goes by where the, what I learned as a reporter, both in terms of doing my job, telling story, simmering ideas down, complex ideas into simple things that people can understand, which has really helped me sell a lot of TV and how to pitch and get big ideas across and interfacing with people you know again i i uh, it's not really a joke it's just something that i think about you know if you have to talk to someone the day their husband has been killed it's not that hard to talk to a network executive about a show you want to sell or someone about an idea It, it, it there are different emotional components to creative work and the um stakes that you feel when you're dealing with art and and creative ideas and certainly in the big business of hollywood where things can change your life very quickly. But ultimately, the stakes will never be higher uh, in terms of human interaction than what I did back then.
1: What is the key then to get into, how do you get to the bottom of the story while you're reporting? And how is that skill really transferred to your work that you do now?
2: Well, that's a really good question. And my answer may not be the prototypical answer, because what I've learned in my career working with, you know, working at the New York Daily News and then in advertising where I produce commercials for a bunch of different clients and then ultimately, um, you know, made my own film that came out to Hollywood and have been selling television for 20 years to networks as diverse as MTV to National Geographic. It's about what are you aiming for? You know, any it's Rashomon. Any story can be told from multiple point of views and be seen differently. Mm -hmm. So at least as a producer, my job is to hopefully identify the value in a story and then figure out you know oftentimes with talent i mean with world class talent with great writers or other producing partners uh, this is a team sport you don't do it in a vacuum but identify where it should live and and then that informs how to tell it that informs how to get to the bottom of it because you're gonna get to the bottom of a story differently for the New York Daily News than you would for the New York Times. And you're gonna get to the bottom of a story differently for FX than you would for HBO. And that's not to put HBO on a pedestal or demean FX, it's just a different filter, it's a different style. So I've learned that um, I wanna find great stories, but at this point I need to kind of also feel that the story has a home, a potential home, Whenever I start developing something, I pick one network that I aim for. And then we, you know, shift it around, change it up for every pitch and, and what have you to whatever degree we, we need to or should. But, but if I don't see an outlet that it belongs on, it's hard for me to commit to getting behind it. I've just now gotten still conditioned that way. Um, and once I do that, it, it actually becomes a little easier to get to the bottom of the story. You know, we're okay. building it this way for this place.
1: For for context and for our listeners, you come from a, uh, your family was in the business and your brother wrote Toy story and uh, your dad was a big wig in the business and your mom's in the business and your wife's a screenwriter. And so that said, you had to sink or swim on your own and it's a good story. And I think your family really uh, handled having somebody like you uh, well, and instead of, you know, handing the career to you, but made you do it on your own and really st- step back and we're there for counsel. Tell us a little bit about that dynamic.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a, a, a joy to be uh, in a family of creative people and mm-hmm. successful people and, and um, uh, you know, everyone who's made their own way, uh, you know, I joke to my wife, sometimes I, I come on podcasts so I can get a word in, <laughs> you know, cause everybody's so <laughs> dynamic in my family. Um, but uh, you know, I credit my parents uh, with, with so many things, but I credit my mom and dad with raising me, I think with, uh, strong values. Um, and part of those values are a sense of your own accomplishment. And, you know, growing up in New York city, you meet so many different kinds of people. And I had, I knew people that grew up with nothing, you know, that, that, you know, four or five siblings sharing one room. And I grew up with people that had everything that lived in Park Avenue apartments so big they'd never see their parents, uh, if their parents were even around. And I think that my parents recognized that, while we certainly didn't have, uh, you know, uh, that kind of uh, wealth at all. I mean, we, you know, my my parents both grew up in Brooklyn, uh, bootstrapped themselves into Manhattan and raised three kids and made careers and, and really exceptional lives in doing it. So they were working class people who became you know, really successful people in the industry. And they taught us that working class ethic. Part of the story uh, that, I, that, I, that I know I touched on when we talked and you're alluding to is uh, my mom gave me my first job after college as her assistant on a made-for-television movie. And I really learned how a film was, you know, launched and cast and staffed up and then physically made and then gone through post-production and delivered. And that was a wonderful experience. And soon after, she took me out for a meal and sat me down and said, here's an envelope. You know, th- this is basically my contact list typed out. Um, if we ever have resumes that match again, we both failed. Got you know, got you an experience. You want something, you pick up the phone and call someone. But, but when, you're, you know, when you're 30, 40, 50 years old, you're going to be happy that I did this because you're going to become your own self-made person. I'm always here for advice. I'm always here as a mom. And, and dad, my dad was always there um, uh, up until the time we regrettably lost him. But they really, you know, she really kind of liked the bird's nest just on the career side. Go fly. And she did the same with my brother and the same with my sister. And I think it's not only why we, uh, we it may not be the reason we've had success, but I think it's the reason that we are all well-formed individuals, feel good in our own skin as people, uh, as well as professionals. And I, I get to lay my head on the pillow every night and know that, you know, my mom was definitely critical in giving me a sense of what I wanted to do, certainly giving me a little bit of a, a start. But she also demanded that I do it on my own, and she demanded excellence, and, and I strive for it every day.
1: When you went to Hollywood, tell us a little bit, because I think it's a really good story, about your, your career path there when you got to Hollywood And what were the drivers to make the decisions, your qualifying decisions to make to say, I'm going to take this job or that job? Because I think a lot of our listeners are interested in how the machinations of Hollywood work and how they see themselves getting into the business and following a path. Tell us a little bit, you you don't have to get too personal, but why did you take this job? Kind of, What was the decision factors in taking your next job and how did you build on it? So you weren't like all over the place.
2: Well, it's a good question, but I'm not sure that my answer is going to be the exact answer that that some people may be looking for because I came out to Hollywood right when I graduated college. I mean, I've graduated college, partied for a couple of days and got on an airplane and came to Hollywood. And uh, as I said, my my very, very first job, it, it just dovetailed with my mom executive producing this this movie that summer. Um, so I went to work for her. And, uh, you know, and by the way, while that is an incredible thing and I I understand how, unique and vital and fortunate that was when you walk onto a set as the lowest level production assistant and your mom is one of the bosses, you actually have to work twice as hard. You have to be more your own person. It, it, it really isn't, it, it's not a pat on the head job. It's like, oh, everybody hates you walking in the door. So right. you better prove to them that you're, you're there. So anyway, I did that. Um, and then I was living in Venice beach where I live now and um, history repeating itself. Uh, the riots happened in 92 um, and I was living right down in the heart of Venice and it was really a a wild time and a a, um, meaningful moment but a scary moment and being a New Yorker and only having been out here a couple of months you know the idea of people standing on their tops of their stores with Uzis and National Guard and all of that uh, it just it it felt like a different kind of chaos than New York Um, and my father had just passed away uh, and so I moved back home. I wanted to go be with my mom. I kind of needed as a a young man to be home, but I also was like, okay, Hollywood's I, Hollywood is what it is. But I was just like, LA is crazy. I'm getting out of here. Um, and, uh, and then I got to New York and began, you know, I studied acting for a little bit, learned I couldn't really do that, but I had been writing and I managed to get a job at the daily news. They were under new ownership and they were staffing and, I fell into this amazing job where I was a crime reporter and a metro reporter, and that was all I focused on. You know, uh, I was taught something also by my mom that I think about also every day, which is advice that I will give, which is whatever job it is you have, whatever job it is you're doing, do the job in front of you to the best of your ability. That's what leads to other opportunity. Sitting there on somebody else's dime and writing the Great American Screenplay or or thinking about other things, that's not going to get you hired sitting somewhere and saying oh i want this other job that's not going to get you hired What get you hired what gets you the next opportunity is doing the job in front of you well so i just tried to be the best reporter i could be and when that contract ended i had kind of burnt out on crime uh, firsthand that was a very difficult job and i wanted to make things up for a living and i wanted to be a producer so i i felt i had gotten a lot out of that job and contributed to the paper And I knew a gentleman in New York who worked in advertising and I went to meet with him asking him for advice. And, you know, there's an old saying that if you ask people for money, they give you advice. And if you ask them for advice, they give you money. And so, uh, of course I asked him for advice and he offered me a job and, uh, and I went to work producing TV commercials and I did that for about two and a half years at two different agencies in New York. And that's where I really learned the functional job of producing. So that was wildly valuable. So I guess really what I'm saying is you're, you're, you're accruing skills. I mm-hmm. learned how to write and deliver. I Now I'm learning how to produce and do contracts and finish things and get things out of post-production and deliver them on time and on budget and you know, to certain specs that they needed, whether they were 30 seconds or 15 seconds or industrials or whatever. I, I, I was really honing those, that, that producing muscle. Um, and then I quit that job to make an independent feature film, very romantic idea decades before cell phones. So we actually shot it on film. Uh, We had to raise, uh, it was a wild ride. We raised uh, money as little as $500. The biggest check we got was like $5,000. We made this independent feature for about 60 grand, under a hundred total. And that movie ultimately uh, won some awards, but didn't get a distribution deal. And uh, some of that was our own fault. Some of it was just the world at the time. But in a bit of desperation, in 99, I built a website with my, my producing partner and creative partner, Rob Lobel. He was working at that time in marketing and knew how to do websites. And we built a website. And I literally picked up the phone and called Amazon in Seattle and struck a deal with them to do a self-published movie. And we built a little paradigm and became the first filmmakers to ever self-distribute our own feature film using the internet. And that got more attention than the movie. That got, we were on Good Morning America. That was written about in Time Magazine. And that ultimately created a big moment. And that moment was the moment then to move back to Hollywood. So I actually moved back to Hollywood at 30 years old. But with the wind in my sails of making this movie, putting it on the internet, having some uh, national press. And that allowed us, wasn't easy, but that allowed us to land here, get an agent. And and we actually had an agent, but we, we, we got a new agent and that was a meaningful agent. Um, a a guy named Peter Michelli at CAA who has been a a rabbi and a dear friend and a brother and Pete became our agent. And then he said, look, you're not really writers like you're writing on these TV shows, but this whole digital world just happened. And you just put this movie on the internet, which is a digital thing. And within three months, we sold a dating show to MTV. And my first job coming back to Hollywood was executive producing that TV show through my own little company. And I've pretty much only had that job in Hollywood since I've been here. There have been good shows, bad shows, good years, bad years. Money's come and gone in different ways and angles, but I've pretty much been executive producing television through one of my own companies since then for 20 years. Um, So it's not the normal way to maybe break in, but I do think the lesson is, is wherever you are in the world, try to create a meaningful moment that shines a light on you, and then you can come to Hollywood with a little wind in your sails. if you just move out here and you want to get started, honestly, take any job and, and do your and then practice your craft, whether it be acting, writing, producing, do it at nights on the weekends, and, and just get, get your foot in the door.
1: Sam is the executive producer of the uh, series Genius, which has uh, focused on Picasso. And uh, we have Aretha Franklin coming up. And there was a uh, missing somebody. Who was it, Pablo Sam? Picasso. No, Picasso. Was there one other uh, Aretha? No, the first, yeah, season, first season. was Einstein. Right. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about that and the the biggest challenges you've had and how you determine who's the genius to cover. Is it twentieth century? Do you have? Is it like somebody who hasn't been covered too much? Like I think, like oh, Miles Davis. Well, he's been has he has he been done? And that's why you pick Aretha. How did how did that whole process work?
2: Well, television is you know everything's a trajectory and 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 grows, but ultimately you know, we set off to tell Einstein's story. We, uh, my company at the time, Iwi Sokolo, my partners, Chris and Jeff Cooney, um, we were partnered with another production company, which was called Odd Lot at the time, which is now called Madison Wells Media, a woman named Gigi Pritzker, and her president, um, uh, a, a really great friend of mine, and, and an unbelievably smart uh, executive named Rachel Shane. The book was optioned, and, At first, there was an attempt to make it as a feature film. And I I really did come up with the idea to do it as a limited series. I think that was my biggest contribution um, early on. And everybody agreed it was, you know, that that business was coming back really big at the time. But more importantly, and I'm really a stickler about this, creatively, his life needed more time than two hours. And so if you try to do a two-hour movie of Einstein, I, I jokingly always said it's physics. His life actually doesn't fit in two hours. But in 10 hours, you can tell it correctly. And everybody agreed that was a good idea. We then um, hired a writer independently, developed the script. Ultimately, we needed a director because there's no pilot on a limited series. And we Rachel had a relationship at um, Imagine. And we got the script into Imagine. And it just turned out that Ron Howard was, you know, somewhat obsessed with Einstein, wanted to tell his story, hadn't really figured out a way to do it as a movie. And when this presented itself to him, he, he obviously thought this was it. Um, and he wanted to, you know, do television. He hadn't really done television since he had directed some TV back in the like, late seventies when he was coming off happy days, but obviously one of the most prolific directors in the history of Hollywood. So when Ron decided to do this and direct the pilot and executive produce the series, you know, the world opened up and we 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 identified Nat Geo as the place that we thought would be the best place. They were looking to take their, you know, global hundred-year-old Tiffany brand and start making premium scripted television. And it just seemed like a perfect marriage of Einstein, Ron Howard, you know, who had done a beautiful mind in Apollo 13 and National Geographic. And it was. And Brian Grazier, Ron's partner, you know, again, a a tremendous producer and force in the industry. Uh, Brian really very quickly organized all of us in a room and this got off and running. While we were making the first season of Einstein, the conversation turns to who would we do next if we're fortunate enough to get a second season. Um, And, you know, it's it's a lot of, I would say a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but there's a lot of people that have a say in that. Uh, Ultimately, the network makes the final decision. So almost like pitching the TV show to begin with, you're pitching ideas. And, you know, the the, the network, incredibly smart uh, executives, uh, Courtney Monroe, Carolyn Bernstein, Hugh Fitzpatrick, you know, they they know what they're doing. They're really great at what they do. Um, uh, Ron and Brian, obviously, Gigi and Rachel, Chris, Jeff, and I, there, we, there were very, um, really terrific, engaging conversations about who else should we do. But we're making a TV show. So, You know, ultimately, the showrunner of the first two seasons, Ken Biller, I think, you know, said it very clearly, you know, we need someone whose name everyone knows, but whose story they'd be interested in watching. They have to have impacted the world in a way. They have to have impacted their field in a way that they literally changed it forever. You know, they're a genius. And then they also need a story worthy of a series, you know, a season of television. That's the hardest part, uh, is a life interesting enough to actually make a TV show about the quick example that I use is right after Einstein, a million people pitched me Nikolai Tesla. And while Tesla is certainly an intriguing character and a fascinating scientist, he lived alone and he ate dinner by himself every night in the same restaurant. Hard to do, you know, tough, tough to do 10 hours of TV on a guy like that. So once you kind of, again, filter all of those things in, then the list, you know, naturally shrinks And Pablo Picasso rose to the top for season two and uh, you know, it was extraordinary work. Uh, And then that did well enough that we got a third season ordered. And then when the third season ordered, it was a little bit of a journey, but Aretha Franklin, you know, arose. And I think that that was also a really savvy decision by everyone involved to, you know, we had done two European men, both, you know, basically lived between the late 1800s and the 1970s. And Aretha is an African-American woman and a contemporary story. And there's really nobody like her. And her the story of her life is so unbelievable. When people watch it, I think they're going to not, they're, they're just going to be amazed at, 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 you know, again, she's a, the perfect example of, you know, you know her, but you don't really know her story. Uh, and then if Aretha goes well and we're blessed with the fourth season, you know, those conversations will begin again. And, and, and you know, uh, National Geographic has proven they make the right decision. So, they hey, will.
1: Guys, Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. I'm here with Hollywood superstar producer and great uh, guy, guys, Guy, Sam Sokolo. Uh, one last question on, uh, on, on uh, the GEO series, Genius. When you're going into the consideration set, a lot of geniuses sometimes have other issues. You take somebody like, you know, Keith Richards, what a talent. Uh, incoming the songs are incoming on the antenna yet he's had some substance issues as many other great creative geniuses have had do you have to factor that in when you're going through the qualification process as to okay what talent are we going to focus on next season
2: well i mean yes but not as like they had an issue so they're an interesting character um there there is a price to genius and that i think is something that this show is about to a large degree. No one becomes Einstein without a lot of challenges, personally, professionally, no one becomes Picasso, no one becomes Aretha without a dramatic life. Um, Einstein certainly was not a drug addict or an alcoholic or anything like that. Um, But he was this creative visionary and brilliant scientist who saw things others couldn't see and chased that truth in a way that he paid a price as a father, as a husband, uh, in some cases as a citizen. And then he was a Jew in Nazi Germany. And that is a whole layer of story that is a monster challenge. I would, I would imagine getting out of Germany during Nazism and Hitler is harder than getting through rehab, um, not to downplay rehab. I know some people never get out of rehab and I totally understand that. But you know, there are stakes, of course, similar, in the sense of trying to find great stakes in their lives, Einstein, I mean, Picasso also, Picasso never had a substance abuse problem, but he had an ego problem and a narcissistic problem. And I think we all see what that can do at this point in history to, to someone. And Aretha also had a lot of issues and challenges. And I think there is a price to genius, and we explore that. Uh, but we don't necessarily look like a movie might, or say, oh, they did it, but they were a drug addict, and we're going to kind of explore that quickly. If someone has these issues, we're going to tell the story authentically, but we don't look for those types of issues. Uh, I was those almost, issues emerge, yeah.
1: Okay. I was almost thinking of it as a as a disqualifier because, well, across 10 episodes, if somebody does a deep dive and they have a substance issue problem that might, maybe that puts them aside because you don't want to focus all that time on that. You want to focus on their genius.
2: Well, I mean, uh, uh, look, um, how do I say it? There's been a lot about Churchill in the last few years, exceptional work, exceptional work. I mean, Gary Oldman's Churchill is incredible. Uh, John Lithgow's Churchill is incredible. So I'm not saying that we would do Churchill, but Churchill had a scotch at 8 a.m. and smoked two cigars a day. And so did he have a substance abuse problem? I mean, by the book, yes, he did. Uh, but he's certainly a guy you could do eight hours on, and it would be fascinating. So I, I don't think it disqualifies you. But we're not a show about that. We're not a Got show it. about some, you know, that kind of thing. We're we're a show about, you know, what it takes to become accomplished at a level uh, higher than even the, the the best. You're a genius. Let's
1: shift subjects a little bit from your side, and I want to cover it from both sides of the desk. You work with creatives. I want to get to advice as to what some of the creatives need to do to really. Get, find their way in, in the Hollywood quote unquote system because so many creatives that I've worked with, you know, they don't want direction, but they do want direction. And it's a, whole, it's a, whole, a lot of the marketing stuff is like, I don't want to be doing this part of it. I want to be doing the work. But from the other side of the desk, from your side of the desk as a producer, what's the most helpful and effective way people in your job can, can deal with creatives?
2: You know, it's, it's, it's a, a acquired skill, I think, you know, I mean, ultimately, I know I'm not a writer, I'm not an actor, I'm not a director, my job is to, I look at producing as as putting, doing the best you can do to put talented people in a position to do their best work. So, you know, when I'm working, say with a writer, I want to know what we agree early on what our goal is. What kind of tone are we trying to achieve? What kind of show are we trying to develop? And where do we ultimately want it to live? Even if it ends up living somewhere else, those create a few North stars that we start aiming for. And then my job is to encourage us to keep marching towards those North stars. Um, For creatives. I mean, look, it's being, being a world-class talent is not easy and doing it consistently over time is not easy. So I am very deferential to writers and creators, and I want to listen to them more than talk. And I want to hear what they have to say and what they're trying to accomplish. And then once I feel like I really understand that, then I know, you know, players need coaches. And I come from an athletic background. So, you know, I, would, I wouldn't I have accomplished anything without coaching uh, that I did as an athlete. And so I... I kind of feel like a coach and a coach doesn't play the game. A coach tries to help people play the best game they can play and be winners themselves. I know that's very broad strokey, but that's how I approach it philosophically. And you know, again, there's no one writer that's the same and there's no one project that's the same. I do try to find what people's lanes are because it's the rare writer that can do it all. Um, you know, I, I, and, and sometimes you want to give a writer an opportunity or or support a writer in their quest to spread their wings and try something else and have done that many, many times and enjoy it. But if you've got a track record in comedy for 20 years, I might not, you know, say, let's really, really go all in and do Dante's Inferno. You know, I, I, I would want somebody that's done something a little bit more dramatic, serious, spiritual for that um and and vice versa you know if your body of work is all crime drama you know i I respect that you might want to go do a comedy but we got to really be thoughtful is that how you're going to be accepted in the marketplace and are we going to be you know are you going to be putting in a lot of time and effort that might not get bear fruit at the end um it's not again not as cut and dry those are concepts but you know i I just i try i did a doc I, i was a a, a associate producer on a documentary about Mike Tyson back in the early 90s. And the director, Barbara Koppel, uh, Academy Award winner, brilliant filmmaker. Um, and we interviewed Mike Tyson's first coach, manager, sort of father figure, this guy, That's Cus yeah. And Cuss said, you know, I don't fight and I can't do the fighting for them. And I don't teach anybody how to fight. I uncover and discover their potential. And then they have to do it. And that's how, how I look at it. I, I, I try to uncover and discover and encourage and help creatives just be the very best they can be. Now, the bar is different for everybody. Um, and often the best that some people can be is, is so great that I don't have to do much. You know, I mean, once, you know, genius at a certain point that the, the talent is so world-class, the, the team is so incredible that, you know, I, I, I make sure I contribute as I feel required or needed, but you know okay. I don't tell Ron Howard how to direct. You know,
1: let's flip it around. Um, so you're a creative, and a lot of pe- creatives because they're uncomfortable with the whole marketing aspect, and you do have to toot your own horn and market yourself. But you don't want to. You gave me some good advice about let's not lean on what you've done, but let's lean on where you're going. And and a lot of creatives they fall into like they start selling, and because they feel like they have to, and this is my chance, I have to sell. How would you advise creatives to you know, not get fall into the trap of the process and be able to focus on their work and let their coaches, if you will, guide them, even though ultimately the talent has to carry the ball.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, to a certain degree, the work speaks for itself. And that doesn't mean that there are people that have gotten lucky and a lot of people that maybe haven't gotten the break that they need to do the work they want to do all the time, but the work to a degree speaks for itself. And so I just encourage artists to stay, to, to focus on their work and then be good people. I mean, literally it's that kind of simple. You know, if you're not in the system, yeah, you have to break into the system. Once you're in the system, you have to let the system work. Mm-hmm. If you have an agent, your agent has to do their agent job. If they're not doing their job, get another agent, but, but don't wring your hands over it more than you need to. Focus on being the best writer you can be. Focus on being the best actor you can be. And then be a good person. Be kind. Be nice. Be personable. Be the kind of person people want to be around. It actually matters. You know, we, 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 there's a, a lot of companies. You'd be amazed how many offices you walk into. I have in the last 20 years. And I've heard somebody on the other side of the table or desk or whatever say, we have a no assholes policy around here. Um, well, we did too at our company. And, and so what does that tell you? It just tells you at a certain point, people actually don't need to work with attitude problems or desperate people. Now, at a certain point, if you're a certain level of talent and you're an A-list star and everything's happening because of you and you're number one on the call sheet or you're what have you, and you happen to be difficult, okay, that's the way it goes. I mean, you do your best to deal with it. But for the most part, being a good person goes so much farther than people think being thoughtful and kind, giving other people credit, not beating your own chest, and then just doing the work, be dependable. If you're dependable and you do good work and you're cool, you will eventually get an opportunity and then being dependable, talented and cool will carry you forward.
1: Momentum, we talked about momentum. Talk to us uh, and our audience about what's the importance, how people on your side of the desk see momentum, how do you create momentum, and how do you make momentum work for you while you're on your path as a creative making their way through the system, if you will?
2: I mean, that's a, um, you know, that's I, I, a tough question to answer in a quick way. That's a, a really, um, that's something you have to kind of do. But it's sort of like sailing, I guess, is the best analogy. Not that I've ever sailed. I'm a New York kid who, lives in Venice Beach. But, I, but I, know, uh, I know from being such a sports junkie and even watching the America's Cup kind of what sailing is. And it's very rare you go in a straight line. It's about constantly catching wind to get where you're going. And I think that's kind of the concept. You got to catch a little wind. And then once you have wind, you have to keep trying to catch wind, keep trying to catch more wind. And that's for your career or for your projects. Once your project gets some wind, the wind can also die and you can end up stuck in the middle of the lake or middle of the pond or whatever. So you want to catch wind and then it's about constantly going to where the next big wind is. So, you know, you got to build momentum for yourself. You got to build momentum for each individual project. Um, it is important, but again, the key is starting with something worthy and that it can catch a little wind and get going. Um, I think that's the kind of thing that, um, not to, not to kind of promote my business, but you know, I have started this new consulting business and I am uh, consulting now. Uh, you can go to samsocolow.com and see everything there and make an appointment if you want. But I, I, this specific thing that you're talking about is a very nuanced thing that's unique for every individual and every individual project. But I want to help people achieve their dreams. And you know, one thing about this very regrettable moment in time is that like a lot of people, it slowed me down to a degree and it opened up some space for me And I had been daydreaming for the last few years about being in the yes business to anybody and everybody. Uh, You know, at a certain point, when your career and or company grows to a certain place, the responsibilities of that take over. So you have employees, you have insurance, you have office, you have all these things that kind of are factored into every decision you're making. And I quickly became somebody that would say no to people because I, you know, I can't put time into that. I have to think about the things they are gonna forward, again, the agenda of my company. Now that I have a little bit more time as an individual, I wanted to open up something to say yes to anybody or everybody. It's a transaction, it's business, but I am now giving counsel and uh, consulting with kind of any writer or any producer, anybody that has a career goal in Hollywood or a project that they wanna move forward, and in those, in those sessions, a lot of what we talk about is that momentum and how to get that momentum for yourself and build it to you actually achieve your goal, uh, not just dream about it.
1: I can safely say that uh, working with Sam is a pleasure. And as, as this show is being broadcast, I'm sure his inbox is filling up quickly because there's so many people out there have been dying, waiting for, to hear somebody to say, I, I want it. I'm interested in you. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to look at your work. And I want to help you succeed. And it's it's a win-win because I think those creatives also need to say, I want you to succeed also, Sam, because it's got to be a win-win. And with the representatives that you work with, you want them to, it's got to be good for them, good for you and good for everybody. And uh, just working with Sam for a, a brief period of time, I've learned so much. I can't recommend them highly enough. And, and you know, this is off script, but it's, it's, the, it's the truth.
2: Thank you, Robert. I, I just okay. want to interject really quick and, and, and make clear that I'm not looking for ideas in this business. I'm looking to help people right. achieve their ideas. So mm-hmm. not saying that if I find something that I respond to and people want to work with me, we can't take that next step. But this business is really about helping people elevate their careers and their ideas so that they can go out and do it. And whatever producer they end up working with, yeah, has that experience, becomes a win for them. Uh, and and for those people so just want just to okay
1: no thank you um, I know we're on the clock but big question and then uh, we can wrap and that is where do you see the industry going now with everything that's been happening uh
2: you know uh I wish I had a crystal ball to kind of answer that specifically this is how I look at it I don't know if anybody else does but you know I I, I think often that you know there are There are cavemen that go out and kill dinosaurs or cave people that go out and kill dinosaurs. And there are cave people that guard the cave. And then there's always people in the back of the cave drawing on the wall and telling stories. And that's part of humankind. That's part of our makeup as human beings. We need stories. We love stories. We need to hear them and tell them. So storytelling will always be here. It always has been here. It will always continue. I think that things will evolve as they always do. In my mind, the best Analogy that I can give is I remember when the VCR came out in 1980. Um, I mean, I was just a kid, but when the VCR came out, I remember there was this whole: "Is it going to hurt Hollywood? Is it going to hurt movies?" Is it hurt? What it really did was it gave rise to an entire new genre of straight-to-video movies under three million dollars, and you could put it right out on Blockbuster, put it right out on Hollywood Video, and All of a sudden, all these filmmakers were making movies and all these different genres emerged, and the romantic comedy found a home, and the funky little weird cult movie found a home, and a lot of directors came out of that. But there was, you know, Hollywood was making whatever it makes, 200 movies a year, and video was making 500 more movies a year. So now there's 700 movies a year instead of 200. Well, I think that's what streaming is to a degree. It's a whole other level, and it might be called something else, but with Netflix and Amazon and HBO Max and Peacock and Apple and Disney Plus, and there'll be more streamers and independent streamers. And as this emerges and you still have networks on television and you still have live sports and you are still going to have movie theaters and movies, um, you know, there will be a vaccine. We will get past it. It might take longer than we want, but you know, the polio vaccine was needed. That took a few years and then 70 years of, of, of social thriving living, we will get back to that. Um, how those things will evolve and change, they will. But I think that there's going to be a huge gold rush uh, in the next five to 10 years of smaller films and independent independent filmmakers making movies at a price point that can be easily picked up by streamers. And they're going to get more movies made and more emerging voices. I also, I also think that very much like, if I may, um, to use a different technology, like the magazine business, you know, 100 years ago, there were five magazines, and then 20 years ago, there were 1,000 magazines, eight magazines just for photography, and 20 magazines just for cars, and, you know, we're going to get more specific, and, and, and probably more on a cultural level than a genre level, so you're going to see emerging voices because of this new distribution model and the ability to feed that beast with content. I think that you're gonna see a hunger for and the ability for people to tell their stories more easily. I think they can make things at a different price point. And I think you're gonna see cultural voices emerge and find specific audiences in a successful way that's not gonna require the Hollywood machine to say, can we really tell a story about that immigrant with that sexual um, you know, identity? Well, you know what? That story's gonna now get told and then somebody gets to decide if they want to distribute it or not. And, and so that's where I really see it going in the big picture. I see, it, I see emerging voices that are very specific to cultural experiences and a lot of opportunity for those stories to get made, distributed, and, and, and enjoyed.
1: So out of chaos comes opportunity, and that's good news. Um, our special guest on Guys Guys Radio has been Sam Sokolo, producer extraordinaire gentleman, guy's guy, and, and a really cool dude. And he's always been honest with me. I have to tell you, he's always been honest. He's always been approachable. And he's always been positive. And that's the type of people you want to work with. That's the type of person you want to have coach you. And that's the type of person you want to know. So thanks so much, Sam, for being on the show. Thanks for being you.
2: Oh, Robert, thanks back at you for every reason. Uh, I appreciate your friendship. And uh, this was a, this was an honor, man. Thanks for
0: having me on. Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It's Guys, Guy Radio.
1: Okay, that was a wonderful conversation with Emmy-nominated Hollywood producer Sam Sokolow, and as mentioned, Sam has a new company, samsokolow.com, is where you can reach out to him. Uh, his company is really based on helping people. Uh, companies, uh, projects, whatever you have to break into Hollywood. You could be an entertainment company that wants to grow. You could have a creative a project that you want to get looked at. And you could have some just overall career goals or some insights as to how to work in the Hollywood business system, if you will. And like any other business. Uh, Hollywood is a business it has to do with the creative arts of course but it is a business just like publishing is just like the music business just like the film business just like the media business and a lot of times uh, folks who are creative and they have projects they don't like to get involved in the marketing like people write books and then they don't want to do the work and to go out there and hawk it and sell it and market it you know what today's today it's like the wild west out there anybody can break through the rules are being broken all the time. That's great. There's lots lots of opportunity. But with that comes responsibility. That means you've got to do a lot of the marketing on your own. You've got to get yourself out there. you got to do the work. And then you've got to get eyeballs on it and ears on it. And you've got to really... Uh, market and hype yourself a little bit in in a fair way. That's not just shilling all the time, but you've got to do some of that work. And Sam and people like Sam can really help you with that because when I th- and one of the big things I think we learned is from our conversation is that when you're when you're interacting with the Hollywood system, if you will, or business, that there are certain rules of engagement as there are when you're dealing with any of the creative arts and the business aspect of it. There's rules of engagement. There's terminology you need to learn. There are some nomenclature you need to have. And that shows the people that you're working with how much investment you've put into learning about the business and learning about them so you can make the best use of their time. Because ultimately, all these folks who are in the representation area. creative projects, no matter if it's business, publishing, music, whatever, they are inundated with people who want to make a go of it. So just keep that in mind. Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 a.m. all over Southern California. The show rebroadcasts every Sunday at 6 p.m., Pacific time. And the pod drops every Thursday worldwide. And by worldwide, I mean iHeart and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spreaker and Stitcher and TuneIn and Blog Talk Radio and CastBox and really anywhere that you consume your podcasts, you can find Guys Guys Radio. We've done over 416 shows and we now have a YouTube uh, presence where there's lots of videos, lots of guys guys stuff, but also we have what's called best of guys guys radio and we do the uh, video promos and then we play the podcast and we have some of our select special guests and special shows there on my new YouTube channel so you can just check out Robert Manny YouTube. My website is Robert Manny, dot com, over three hundred and fifty blog posts. My most recent post is about Lessons from the lockdown, all about what are some of the opportunities and positive ways we can look at kind of coming out of this quarantine after so much time there's always opportunities when there's chaos and, and that 's my opinion and somebody's going to make out from you know oh obviously we we don't want to downplay and minimize uh, all the pain and tragedy that's happened recently. But also when there's chaos and the rules are being broken and the walls are crumbling down, that means there's opportunity. So just keep that in mind. There there are some positive aspects to change. People don't like change. A lot of times they really want to cling to things, but change can be very good. So just keep an open mind on that. So. Robert Manny here, your host of Guys Guys Radio. I truly enjoy doing the show. I love the service aspect of it, of bringing new information, new stories, new experiences through my guests to you each and every week. And I hope you'll join me again next week. If you want to support the show, hey, give us a review, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And otherwise, just a big thank you for being there. Guys Guys Radio, we're back again next week. And as I always like to say, guys guys, finish first.
0: There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys, Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys, Guy Radio. Better men. Better World.